Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. We've been listening to quite a few stories written by Lucille Fletcher lately, and while she is primarily known for her work with suspense, this week we'll be listening to Bad Dreams, a story of Hungarian immigrants that she wrote for The Clock. Created by Lawrence Klee, The Clock premiered November 3rd, 1946, and after 80 episodes, concluded May 23rd, 1948. The series was hosted by Father Time, whose poetic musings stand in stark contrast to the sinister foreboding employed by other show hosts. In 1947, the series moved from New York to Hollywood and enlisted director William Spear of Suspense and the Adventures of Sam Spade fame. The move was also accompanied by a change in actors, including Elliot and Kathy Lewis, as well as Jeanette Nolan. Most of the existing episodes of The Clock You'll Come Across are from the 1955 Australian version of the shows presented by Grace Gibson Productions. Seven years after the series left the American airwaves, Grace Gibson recycled over 50 scripts from the original run and met with tremendous success. But this recording is one of the few exceptions. From the original run, recorded in Hollywood, here's Elliot Lewis and Jeanette Nolan in Bad Dreams, First broadcast, April 25th, 1948. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. In just a moment, you will hear The Clock, presenting transcribed the premiere of a new thrill drama by Lucille Fletcher, the author of Sorry, Wrong Number, and other noted studies in suspense. Listen now to... The American Broadcasting Company presents another in a series of dramatic programs, The Clock. From Hollywood, The Clock tonight stars two distinguished players, Elliot Lewis and Jeanette Nolan, and is produced and directed by radio's master of the art of suspense, William Spear. of time. Clocks. All over the city, clocks. Little clocks and big ones, new ones just learning to count. Old ones hold hands at the game. Clocks standing aloof from their owners, taking no part in their joys or sorrows. Their faces immutable, impervious. All over the city, the clocking needles, sewing the fabric of life and the death which must make room for new life. Stitching time, the clock, whose face shows no anger or delight or surprise. Because time sees all things. From the two-room walk-up flat on the lower Third Avenue, New York, where Mr. and Mrs. Belabozhniak live over a second-hand clothing store, you can hear if the Third Avenue elevator isn't going by the 
the chimes of the huge clock atop the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company building. Good morning, Charlotte. I'm so sorry to be so late, but I overslept myself. I was dreaming. Breakfast is over two hours ago. Everything is put away. So, so, of course. But perhaps there's some coffee. I don't keep stale coffee standing around all day. If you want, you can make some for yourself. Thank you, Charlotte. Such a dream I had. Does my head ache? Do I feel depressed? Is there by any chance a piece of coffee cake in the house? No. Uncle Miklosh come by this morning. Uncle Miklosh? What do you want? He wants you to come down and make fresh potato salad. The boy from the high school didn't come. But I thought it was my day off. All what? right, all right, Charlotte. I will go. Just as soon as I have my coffee. Oh, what a dream. It's a terrible dream. I cannot seem to get it out of my head. Do you know what I was dreaming, Charlotte? Who cares? I dreamed I was being electrocuted. Electrocuted, Charlotte. Isn't that terrible? The water's boiling. And it was so real, too. I was in a cell, a real cell in a prison. White, glaring white, like a bathroom. I was lying on a cot with my hands behind my head when suddenly I heard these footsteps outside the door. Then I jumped up like a madman. And it came over me that the footsteps were my jailers. They were coming for me, to kill me. I was condemned to die. Will you hurry? Drink your coffee. I told him you'd be right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, but the coffee's so hot. There's a cup for you, Joe. No. And then, these guards came into my cell and dragged me from the bars. There were four guards in gray uniforms. There was also a tin priest. Now, everything was very quiet. All the other prisoners shut up. They watched me from behind their cell doors. I could feel their eyes burning at me. I could hear my feet shuffle, shuffle along the floor. I felt so weak. No, you don't have another cup. Give me that pot. But, but it would help clear my head a little. After a dream like that... Get your clothes on. That will clear your head. In a minute, in a minute. I'm just trying to remember. Remember what? Why they were electrocuting me. What I had done. Oh, what an idiot. He worries about his dream. Ah, yeah, yeah. I suppose it's silly. But that is the trouble with dreams. They tell you one little thing, and it is so real. But the rest of the story, they keep it to themselves. What, are you going to stand around here talking all day? No, no, I was just going. I'll be right down. Disturb you, Charlotte. You can't come in. I'm scrubbing this kitchen, and I don't want you making tracks across my floor. I know, floor. Charlotte. I wouldn't want to mark your nice, clean floor. It's only my coffee. Go down to the drugstore for your coffee. It, it's closed on Sundays. So? I told you when we were having breakfast. I know, but 8 o'clock. It's such an early hour for Sunday. And Uncle Miklosh kept the store open last night till 11. You didn't come home last night at 11. 
A little glass of beer at Kleinman's. Huh? Would you begrudge me that after I was on my feet till 11 o'clock at night? Please, Charlie. I don't feel so good this morning, either. Naturally, after Kleinman. I'm not sleeping so good. Not all week. Having the same bad dreams. Yeah, always some excuse. But it's true. Do you remember? I told you I dreamed I was electrocuted. I was in that cell. Well, every night now, for a week, I have been dreaming about that cell. So what? And in one corner, there's a bed. Two magazines. The Look magazine and the Hungarian Weekly. I can see them just as clear as if they were in this kitchen. Well, move those chairs out of the way. I want to scrub under the table. Don't. Don't you think that's very clear, Charlotte? What's clear? To dream all that. Every night. Ah, who cares about dreams? They're only junk in your head. Ah, but it is very clear, just the same, to be there night after night. Oh, yes. Last night. Uncle Miklos was there, too. Huh? What? I mean, in the dream. He came to see me in my cell. Wasn't that queer? I don't see anything so queer about that. Can you imagine Uncle Miklos giving me anything? That's a fine thing to say. Who brought you to America? Who gave you the job in the delicate I didn't happened? mean that way, Charlotte. I meant... What did you mean? I meant... Well, Uncle Miklos is always so careful with food. In the delicatessen. But but in the dream. It was a very nice roast chicken in the dream. With plenty of breast and stuffing. Stop. And Uncle Miklos even had a bottle opener in his basket to open up the schnapps. He kept telling me to eat. Eat. Eat, Bella. He kept saying. Stuff yourself. I can hear how he said it. You only got another month to live. Maybe. Maybe I should go to see a doctor. Huh? He should give me a thorough checkup. Maybe you should go to a fortune teller, too. There's lots of places you'll be glad to take your money. If you only got the money. Might be a good idea. Only you don't got the money. But, Charlotte... Will you keep your dirty feet off my nice clean floor? Uh, I'm sorry, Charlotte. I'll wipe it off. Oh, get out, will you? Go down to the drugstore and get your some some coffee. by the radio in the middle of the afternoon well, yet. Well, what time is it? Four o'clock. Why aren't you in the store? I just came up here for a nap. A nap? In the middle of the day? Where is Uncle Miklos? Uncle Miklos went out. There was no customers. I was very tired. But if it is four o'clock, Uncle Miklos was coming back at three. So Uncle Miklos was coming back at three? Now you're in a fine mess, a fine, nice mess. Well, maybe, maybe he's not back yet. Hey. And what's this bottle of beer doing under the sofa? What bottle of beer? So, that's why you were so tired. Why you didn't hear me. Why the radio was playing so loud I could hear it halfway down the street. Drunk. Oh, please, Charlotte. 
It was so hot. Mm. And I wasn't really drunk. I, I was only asleep. I was having a terrible nightmare. Where did you get this bottle? From Kleinman's? Or from Uncle McWash's store? From the store. But I will, I will pay him back, Charlotte. Now listen to my heart. <laughs> How it's still pounding. How can a man wake up quickly when he's dreaming he's on trial for his life? Think of it. A thousand people looking at you, and the judge with his black cap on, and the jury standing there, and then one of them getting up and pointing. And you hear the words, clear, clear. Guilty. Bela Bozniak is guilty. And is condemned to death. How many times do I have to tell you never to touch anything in that store that belongs to Uncle Nicholas? Charlotte, why should they say I am guilty? Because you are. You are guilty of stealing Uncle Nicholas' bottle of beer and cheating on your time in that store. Nats yet. Nats! Like a millionaire! And how do I know what other things you are guilty of? Maybe you steal from the cash register. Who knows? Maybe you stuff yourself full of bloodwash and pickles when Uncle Nicholas is not looking. Maybe you insult the Charlotte. customers. What a... What a terrible thing to say. I know what I hear from Uncle Miklos. What do you hear from Uncle Miklos? Ah, lots of things. But all I got to say to you, Bella Bosniakis, you better watch your step from now on. You better behave yourself. What? Why? to see a doctor or something. Oh, get out of that bed, lazy, good for Charlotte, nothing. Charlotte, I'm really sick. I must have a growth in my brain. Yeah, there's always something the matter with you when it comes time Nobody to Nobody keeps on dreaming the same dream night after night. Nobody. With a normal mind in his head. Keep quiet. I don't want to hear about your dreams. Always, always, I got this terrible guilt in me. Like a pain. All night long, I'm running away. I'm hiding from people who are trying to catch me. So, so, so why do you run? Why don't you get caught? I am on the streetcar, riding under the L down Third Avenue. There are lots of people. I'm squeezing myself tight up against the window, turning my face out so no one will recognize me. I am pulling my coat collar up around my face and my cap down over my eyes. I am wearing dark glasses. I am running along the Whitestone Bridge. It's summer, a bright, glaring day. I am like a little black speck on the big steel bridge. And over my head, they are looking at me from airplanes. And under the bridge, they are watching me from boats. The automobiles are racing after me, honking their horns. Far, far ahead, at the end of the bridge, I see the man at the toll gate waiting to stop me. He's a tall man with glasses, a brown overcoat, bald. His name is Mr. Turner. He... What a place, darling. Don't do that. Uh, maybe if the covers are off you, you will shut your mouth and get out of that bed. I can. I'm too weak. Lazy, good for nothing. Get Thank you.
I was over to the doctor. So you were over to the doctor. I wish you joy to the doctors. And what did the doctor do for you, millionaire? Nothing. Nothing. Three dollars he pays to the doctor for a visit, and the doctor does nothing for him. Wonderful. Dr. was not a mind doctor. It's for the stomach and the heart. He knows nothing about the brain. Oh, so now he figures that our Dr. Stumpogel is not a mind doctor. Now, after he throws away the three dollars. He gave me these pills. Yeah, medicine already. How much do they cost? They are sleeping pills. I don't need sleeping pills. I don't want to go to sleep. So in this case, then, why did you buy them? I am afraid to sleep. Every time I sleep, there is that Mr. Toyner waiting for me again. He is everywhere. Beside the ash cans in the air shaft, on the fire escape, in the hallway behind the baby carriages. I even dream he's in the delicatessen. He's looking over the counter at me like a customer. He's hiding behind the herring barrels. Give me those pills. You didn't take any yet, did you? He's even in Kleinman's. He's sitting there in the back room drinking a glass of beer and looking out the plate glass for me to go by. His face is green and red in the neon sign going on and off outside. Now green, now red. And sometimes I hear him whisper. That's good. It isn't a special prescription. I can take that back to the drugstore. You didn't even open the bottle. He whispers to somebody about me. He tells people what I have done. And I know it's true. I am guilty. I'm guilty. I'll go take them back to the drugstore right now. But why am I guilty? What have I done? Charlotte, think, think. How could I be guilty? Is, is it because of Mama that I left her there hungry and never brought her over like I promised? But you yourself, Charlotte, said there was no room. And the money Uncle Miklos paid me. How could I have brought Mama here to starve? How could I have paid a boat trip when there was nothing for us half the time to pay the rent? <laughs> but maybe it is Mama, cursing me from the grave. <laughs> Charlotte! Charlotte! Don't leave me alone, please! Charlotte! news for you, Charlotte. At last, I just slept. And the dreams, the bad dreams, have gone away. Two hours, three hours, I was sleeping, and there was nothing. Just sleep. Isn't that wonderful, Charlotte? I I guess I'm cured. You went out and left me alone. I was so tired. But I was afraid to sleep. I went to the park and I lay down on a bench. But the minute I closed my eyes, there was that Mr. Turner again with his face green and red. And then I went over to Kleinman. I had only two little beers. The pianola was playing. It was nice and cool and dark. Charlotte! Charlotte! What is it? Please, Charlotte! You're not that mad at me, are you? Do you hear? No. There is a boy 
a high school boy working in your place full time. No, you, you mean making the potato salad, too? Yes, making the potato salad, too, and waiting on the customers. Now, loafing on the sidewalk and taking naps and talking like a lunatic and getting drunk every other night. And now what are you going to do? What are you going uh, to do? I will go down and speak to Uncle Miklos. Ah, he will go speak to Uncle Miklos at two o'clock in the morning. Yet he will speak to Uncle Miklos and get thrown out on his ear and go to the hospital and cause more expense. Uh, Uncle Miklos, he will get over it, child. Yeah, that's what you think. You haven't talked to Uncle Miklos yet. But, Charlotte... Two days. Two days. Yes, Uncle Miklos couldn't go to Hoboken to see about the cheesecake. You were lying home sick in bed. With what? With the fever, with the stomach trouble, with that lake? No. With dreams. Bad dreams, yes, like a baby. Oh, but Charlotte... And we... where are you? When the customers are telephoning for the orders, they should be sent up right away. Upstairs. Sleeping. Taking a nap. And where are you Friday night? The busiest night in the store. Seeing Dr. Stumphogel throwing out your good money to a crack. And where are you today when Uncle Nicholas is going to play in the Interbrox Hungarian Checkers Tournament? Checkers Tournament today? Yes! Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Drunk. Sleeping. In Kleinman's back room. Oh, I never. I, I wouldn't stay away on purpose, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, that's all the thanks Uncle Miklos did. After all, he's done for you. I don't blame him. He gave you plenty of rope you should hang yourself with. He closed his eyes to plenty. Uh, I'll apologize. I'll explain to him everything in the morning. He's not unreasonable. After all, he's your uncle, Charlotte. Too bad for him. He wouldn't let us starve, Charlotte. Uncle Miklos couldn't. Nine o'clock. How much longer are you going to wait to go down and speak to Uncle Nicholas? In a minute. I'm going right away. I just got to pull myself together a little. Yeah, I thought so. You don't talk so brave this morning, do you? It's not that. It's just... I'm sick. I got those same bad dreams back all over again. Sure, you got them. Whenever you got something to do you don't want to do, back they come. Wonderful. No, Charlie. I'm not afraid of Uncle Miklos, no. I am afraid of myself. But don't think I'm such a sucker, Bella. I've listened to you complaining long enough. I don't fall for that same listen, tune listen, forever. Charlotte, listen to me just for once. Job can wait a few minutes. Oh, the job can wait, can that? <laughs> That's a new one, the job can wait. I, I have done something. Maybe... Maybe I did it in my sleep. Maybe I'm a sleepwalker. Maybe I climbed down the fire escape sometime and went into somebody's kitchen somewhere and, and committed a murder. I couldn't dream such things all by myself. Last night, I dreamed I just killed somebody. It had just made two o'clock. I was coming out of a window, climbing out over the sill. It was night. 
There was a fire escape with flower pots going down into an air shaft. I started to climb down. It was a long way to the ground. I crept down like a monkey. And as I went, I could see into all the dark windows of the flats. A man was eating his supper, and his radio was playing, and a baby was crying. And all the time, I kept holding my breath, afraid they would see me. Because upstairs, there was somebody lying in a room, white, like a kitchen, dead, that I had killed. Shut up! Be that nonsense. Or I'd clap you in the crazy house right now. Now, get downstairs, Uncle Miklosh, and get that job back. You hear? Do you hear me, Bella? Did you hear what I said? Look at you, shaking like a leaf. You're an old man already. You're not afraid of Uncle Miklos. Not much. You're afraid of everything. Afraid of your own shadow. Your own crazy dreams. A fine man I throw myself away on. A fine hero. <laughs> yeah. What are you looking at me that way for? You don't think I can hit you, huh? You think I'm going to stand around here forever wasting my time on a good for nothing? You think I'm good only to wash your clothes and keep your house clean? You think I got no strength in my hands? I can hurt you worse than that sometime. Much worse. You get your life... Well, what are you standing there for, then? Are you going down now? Or not? I am going, Charlotte. I'm going. There's no bread for sandwiches. What are you doing with that knife? I was just dreaming. He had another strange dream, Charlotte. Get into bed. Put that knife back into the drawer. I was dreaming. I was washing my hands, Charlotte. Over there. In that sink. So, what? And they were covered with blood. 
was washing this knife, too. <laughs> it was covered with blood, too. Yeah. And... And what's so... What's so strange about that? It was your blood, Charlotte. My blood? Transcribed from Hollywood, The Clock is produced and directed by William Spear, the master of suspense. And tonight starred Jeanette Nolan and Elliot Lewis. This evening's play was written by Lucille Fletcher. The Clock theme was composed by Bernie Green. Our musical director is Basil Adlam. Next week, same time, you will hear Kathy and Elliot Lewis as stars of... might be telephoned to name the new mystery melody for fabulous jackpot prizes. Be sure to hear it on Stop the Music tonight over this ABC station. That was The Clock and the episode Bad Dreams here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Aaron. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was Tim's pick this week uh, as he uh, sent that to us and said, this is what I'm doing. Yes. That's exactly what he said. Yep. <laughs> Tim and I... Saw each other earlier today, and I said, Have "What? You? Yeah, How, without you? What? Oh, yeah, <laughs> on our secret other podcast." <laughs> <laughs> but I, I said, "Have we ever done an episode of the Clock on the podcast?" Tim goes, uh, "Yeah, like three of them. Two. This is <laughs> Two. our third. Okay. So, is this intro the same as the other clocks?" It's a totally different actor. It's William True. Conrad because this is but the American. The, but the version same of the thing. Clock. There's clocks everywhere, and they're looking at you, and there's a clock in your bed, and yes, um, we've discussed it <laughs> in great detail. We actually have recordings of it, in fact, because <laughs> it's a podcast. I could play them back to you. Okay. I don't recall that opening ever. Well, that's good to know. We've reached that point in our podcast relationship. Uh, <laughs> might be age. Anyway, Linda, why did you pick this? Uh, some weeks ago, we were talking about Lucille Fletcher and how good she is and how awesome she is. And I brought up, well, actually, you had said, has Lucille Fletcher ever like written a script that just wasn't a home run? And I said, there's one that I've heard that I felt went a little off the rails, and I'll bring it someday. So I brought it. Which ah. is a little bit of a tell of my reaction to the script, but mm. uh, it's complicated. It's not just simply mm-hmm. like, because that's how I usually am. <laughs> that's uh, a really interesting thing to hear based on 
what's in my head right now. So I can't wait to get to but the yeah, discussion. So the, the first time I heard this, I was fishing around like, oh my goodness, Lucille Fletcher, the clock, these two things I love, this will be great. And then I heard it and I was like, that's not the Lucille Fletcher or episode of Clock I wanted to bring. So I put it off till later and brought it now. Have we ever done an episode of the clock on the podcast before? <laughs> no, counting the first one. <laughs> <laughs> So it's also very interesting that this is one of the few Hollywood versions of it, not the Australian remake. So we get some names in here of people that we know. Huge names. Huge I mean, names. We got William Spear, William Conrad, Elliot Lewis, Jeanette Nolan, and then Lucille Fletcher on top of it. Yeah. This is a yeah. talent bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll just start it off with this. I listened to it twice. I was distracted both times. So I was catching things both times that I was like, oh, I didn't hear that before. But the second time through, you're going to laugh, is when I really started to realize, oh, he's pre-dreaming what's going to happen. <laughs> I was walking the dog. I wasn't catching all of it. But he knew you'd be walking the dog. <laughs> you know, things like the baby crying became a really cool moment when I realized mm. what this was. It made me also realize I really should listen to most of our podcast twice. Yes. Uh, shut up. <laughs> I don't mean just you. I mean, I always get way more I out know. of the second. And then you read listening. the novel, the original novel, and then the original, uh, you know, No, I actually exhumed episode. Lucille's Fletcher's body for this. <laughs> <laughs> like the baby crying uh, was a really cool and foreboding moment when you realize, oh. oh he described that the baby, baby was, was crying as yeah. he was climbing down the uh, fire yeah. escape. So he's about to do it. He's about to do that. And we know he's going to end up on a train and all these things. Makes me also wonder, though, it brings up the philosophical question. Uh, now that he knows all that's going to happen, can he change that that's going to happen? Like he doesn't necessarily have to even run or kill her. So one of the reasons I love this is because in no way, shape or form are we guaranteed that the next thing that happened that we don't hear is that he killed her. That is not a given. No, there's a lot we don't know at the end, which mm -hmm. I think is intentional. It also right. cuts away and doesn't let us know if he got the job back at the delicatessen. He <laughs> right. leaves to go ask for that <clears throat> mm -hmm. job back. Right. And then we cut to Charlotte, the wife, waking up in bed, hearing him in the kitchen. Reality and that dream are merging. This whole play is the dream hurtling backwards toward the exact moment right. in reality, mm -hmm. which I missed the first time I heard it too. I didn't quite put together that the dream was happening backwards. And we I, were going from his execution to the point at which he commits the crime while real life was moving in a linear fashion. I really like that too. I started to double guess, are we dreaming or are we not dreaming? <laughs> And as I said, at the very end, we don't know that he said so, and it had your blood on the knife. So please get me out of here into a hospital right now, because I'm obviously going to kill you. We don't know if that didn't happen. I liked it a lot for that reason. And you know me, I like, I like an ending. Yeah. And this is not an ending. I struggled with some of the details of just the plain mundane reality of the nagging wife and drunkard mm -hmm. husband. Not really a drunkard, though. That was one beer. I know. <laughs> a couple beers. The first one was one, and then it was a couple. Still, get off his ass. But it's, no, it's when he had a couple that that was the first time he didn't dream. Every time he only had one beer, he had terrible dreams. I think there's a moral here. <laughs> <laughs> I take it all back. I support this two-drink minimum <laughs> view of the world. <laughs> You were saying, though, he's a um, drunkard and she's a nag. and It made it hard for me to plug into the story. I mean, I appreciate it intellectually, but these were not characters I rooted for. 
I root for him. I felt he was in a terrible position. Remember, his wife is the one that wouldn't let him bring his mom. It's specifically stated, my wife said you couldn't come. We can't afford you. We can't afford to get you over here. There's no space. Uh, you can't live here. So he feels bad about that. She's never supportive of him in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I'm going to defend Charlotte here for a second, though. This is an immigrant couple in the 40s. She can't go out and easily get a job. And she has a husband who is not showing up to work and... Leaving his job to go take a Na nap that's like a millionaire. So, Napping yeah. like a millionaire. <laughs> that's the thing is, I sympathize with each character mm -hmm. for the problems they're facing. Of like when she says we're gonna starve, she means we're gonna starve. I believe that. Yes. Uh, and he's either metaphorically or literally like suffering from some sort of depression or mm -hmm. something that is just really hamstringing his ability to go to work and support them. That being said. I don't like either of them. Yeah, Usually that isn't a problem for me, but because it is another one of Lucille Fletcher's great two-hander scripts where yeah. they're the only two characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredibly well written, as in they create this whole world by the use of dreams and all their talk of the uncle character. We have a trial and a police chase mm -hmm. recounted through dreams, but we have a cast of two, so... Fantastic writing, but when you're just stuck with those two characters, if they're not likable, I can see that as an impediment. And I will share that I had a very similar experience with this script that Tim did. I was trying to hunt around and see if I could find an obscure Lucille Fletcher to bring to the podcast, and I came across this too, had the same response. The Clock, written by Lucille Fletcher, and I listened to it kind of distracted while I was driving, and I was just like accents fighting yeah, with each other and I, I dismissed it and I ended up bringing remodeled brownstone instead but on a second listen I got past the characters and into just the complex structure again that Lucille Fletcher is putting into this story the dialects are I can't tell if that's meant to be satirical or like nah that's what Hungarian immigrants sound like wasn't it not sprinkled with Yiddish I took words it as Yiddish when I first was listening mm -hmm. to it it seemed like two different styles and languages and accents going on I presume when I listened to this I know Lucille Fletcher lived in New York and some of the details about where they lived and the details about the deli and the food, that this mm -hmm. came from some place of authenticity. As right. in, these were people she maybe heard arguing at the delicatessen and inspired this story. Right. So I think I gave her a free pass on this coming from some form of experience, filtered through her personal biases or not, but the yeah. accents are an actor choice. I agree with all that. I just, I again, because I don't know either of, is this really accurate of like, yes, if you were down in the Hungarian section of New York in the 30s or right. 40s, this is exactly, exactly what you'd right. hear. Or if it's some actors going, oh, okay, immigrants in this time period, we'll just bust out the standard. <laughs> right. That's my question. The you old just, hackneyed accent. Right. You, you just encapsulated what I'm trying to get at. Should I be mad at this? That's. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I guess I saw it a completely different way. As in, here's an old-time radio show in which it's all about immigrants. Yeah. There's not an American voice in it. Yes, they are portrayed by American actors who are doing the voices, but for... 1940s radio, this seems like representation of voices that aren't going to be heard on the radio, whether they right. are done terribly well. I don't know. It didn't distract me because I thought they acted their socks off, Elliot Lewis and Jeanette Nolan, through yeah. these accents. They conveyed a lot. I will say that not being sidekicks or uh, humorous relief, yeah, just average 
real people that they're yeah. trying to portray and their immigrant life. It's very unique for this time frame and refreshing. Uh, we don't hear yeah. a lot of it unless it's, like I said, comedy relief or yeah. a racist portrayal of some sort. And I think my initial disappointment in this script, because I, I really changed my mind on the second listen, but my initial disappointment, and maybe other listeners felt this, was that I was listening to this as a suspense script because I'm so primed to listen to Lucille Fletcher in suspense. So I mm -hmm. spent the first listen expecting a twist. Mm -hmm. That sting in the tail that a suspense script always has. And, you know, from the top you go, oh, he's probably killed his wife because there's no other character in here. You quickly realize it's two-handed. <laughs> Someone's got to be dead. Like, That's where this is going. But I went, no, it can't be that simple. Oh, where's the twist? It's Lucy Fletcher. And then it wasn't there, and I was disappointed. And the mm -hmm. second time I listened to it, I listened to it as an episode of The Clock, which, unlike suspense, plays with this idea of fate yeah, and the progression of time, yes, and that he is slowly moved to this inevitable moment where this is going to happen. And I tuned in more to the structure, the way the dream goes backwards and takes us to this moment. And with William Spear directing the Foley is so good oh, in this. Yes, absolutely. And, the, and where he times and places the sounds of the trains to mm -hmm. add to a conversation and add to the tension and the baby cry that comes back mm -hmm. uh, from his dream, as Eric already mentioned, um, and the alarm clock going off during a scene where he's missed work and yep. they're fighting and this alarm clock is just going on and on yep. until I, I started to get really tense listening <laughs> to it. It's like, turn it off. Well, to steal what is frequently Eric's role here, you guys may have turned me around on this one. I, in the uh, course of conversation, my objections seem a little petty as to, like, oh, yeah, that was really good. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> now you know how I feel all the time. I will say, Tim, you were saying that you don't like either character. <clears throat> and I was saying I'm sympathetic toward the guy. Here's the last layer of this that really struck me about this show. And it's the idea of being a human being and not having any support not having anywhere to turn, not having anybody that will listen to you. <laughs> He's having these bad dreams. And it's not about, hey, do you think I'm going to kill you? <laughs> it's, these really suck. I'm having a hard time sleeping. And she doesn't even want to hear them. And I just get so empathetic. And she's not giving him anything as his wife. Not even a, well, sit down. Let me even make you a cup of coffee. I won't but even do that for you. It also says something about it. the immigrant life, though. Like They don't have time for that. They're I, scraping right. it together. They I had get to, it. They had to be brought over by their uncle, and, and they're at his pleasure. But I'm not that. Yeah. So from my perspective, I just felt so bad for him. And because of that, and I think this was the intent of the writing, that when it's at the end, I don't endorse murder, but I understand. So that's my argument against both of you about siding with the character and what Fletcher was trying to get us to. I believe she wrote it to get us to the point where we felt like I felt. Yeah, I guess I would just make the argument that he is equally not supporting her by falling asleep in the back of a bar <laughs> and acting like he doesn't know he might first, lose though? his job, though. What comes first? That rebellion because he doesn't have anything? Or is he a jerk? I'm not saying I'm not empathetic toward both of them, but drinking. it's a terrible situation that yeah. they are he's in. And I think and taking naps like a millionaire because he doesn't have anything <laughs> to live for. He doesn't have any But I think joy. that's partly some empathy on the part of Lucille Fletcher to choose this as an immigrant story where they are people 
who are just living day to day, one step away from disaster, right? They're very poor. And most radio stories, they're about maybe criminals who are living close to getting caught by the police, but they're not everyday people who are that poor or that yeah. low on the social uh, it's true. You almost, ladder. I mean, still to this day, in, in very few medias, would you ever see a story about someone who legitimately you are experiencing their poverty? Because no one wants to do that for It's really uncomfortable and yeah. awful. <laughs> yep. He's literally doing jobs that a high school person could do. <laughs> and took his job. Is he making the potato salad? <laughs> I totally would have fired him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a retail manager. And I would right. have fired Coming him. <laughs> from the retail manager who manages people, you have no patience for this guy at all. How many of these no, have, have you actually... No, I have a lot of patience. I'm I think sorry be on for the... your dreams. Where's my potato salad? <laughs> <laughs> on like the fifth time he comes to work and goes, I fell asleep at the bar again. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> I will say this, though. William Conrad is not very good in comparison to Hart McGuire from the Australian episodes, and I'm shocked to say that. Huh. Considering I don't remember any of them. <laughs> you won't remember this, but Hart McGuire approaches time as a character. He adds this sense of playfulness that is almost to the point of cruelty, because the stories he's telling are harsh. And so he doesn't care, because he's time. He has all of it. And he's this very lackadaisical, smirking quality to his performance. And William Conrad is just phoning it in. He's like, have you heard this voice? I'm an omniscient narrator. <laughs> <laughs> and if I just read everything like that, it's fine. And, and I love William Conrad. But yeah, this, and it might be that Hart McGuire listened to William Conrad and went, oh, crap. I've got to <laughs> compete with William Conrad. I'm going to put everything I have into coming up with a totally different take yeah, on this because I can't in, compete with William Conrad. Go in a different direction. Yeah. yeah. I was shocked. I have never said a bad word about William Conrad, and I hope this is the last one. <laughs> William. <laughs> I got some canon episodes that slow... I've never said a bad thing about William Conrad on the radio. There you go. <laughs> Did I, am I interpreting correct at the very top there that he was at the deli when his wife came in, or there was a place that was supposed to make coffee that just said, make your own coffee? No, he got up too late, and she yeah. wouldn't well, that was make in his home. coffee. Okay. Yeah, it was, I think it was in, in her home, and she said, no, I'm done. I've cleaned that up. You... Go get coffee somewhere else. Yeah. Right. So I would like to go to a yeah. diner where they just say, we don't have that. <laughs> enough can... is enough. We've got some ingredients. If you want some eggs, come back here. <laughs> I went to a Starbucks once, and they had run out of coffee. <laughs> They could do anything else yeah. I asked for, but uh, we're out of coffee for the Was day. it a Hungarian Starbucks? <laughs> I stared at it for 20 seconds. How did that happen? How is that not on the top of your inventory? I guarantee seconds before you walked in, she turned to the other guy. I'm going to tell this guy we're out of coffee. Watch. I went to a Mr. Donut once. Maybe we're getting a little off the topic here, but no. <laughs> There's a group of us. They had six donuts in the building. Mr. Donut. <laughs> and you're the only one who left alive, right? <laughs> well, killed we, every last one of them. There was a little moment where, we're like, have you seen your sign outside? There's a big Mr. sign Donut. that says Mr. Donut. So we bought these six donuts, and as we're packing them up, because it's, it's the end of the, their donut day, <laughs> we're packing them up in a bag, and we see a dad and his little girl coming up to the front door with a look of joy and expectation on her little face. <sighs> Did you just start eating the donuts in front of her? <laughs> That little girl took one of our donuts. <laughs> Buddy of oh. mine went through a drive-thru once at a Hardee's, got to the window, and the two girls were arguing. I'm not going to tell him, you tell him. I'm not going to tell him, you tell him. 
So she finally turns to him, hands him his soda and says, I started filling it with Diet Coke and realized you ordered Sprite, so I finished filling it with Sprite. Beat, hands it to him. It might be good. (laughs) (laughs) At no point did her problem solving come up with dump out, start over. (laughs) Anyway, that's our Did service. Did anyone else energy. go to a store that didn't have the thing <laughs> <laughs> that was in the name of the store that they should have? Right. <laughs> All right. So let's vote. Uh, I'll start it this time and I'll say it's not a classic, but I do really like it. I am on the fence whether I want to say it stands the test of time because I think this particular episode really boils down to individual tastes. I don't think it stands the test of time for everybody, but it does stand the test of time for me. I did enjoy it, and uh, I thought the structure of it was a lot of fun. I'm brought around, it stands the test of time. I mean, not only is Lucille Fletcher a very sharp writer who clearly packed a lot into this, even if I sort of bristled at it, but this discussion really makes me realize, like, wow, uh, this is not a universal reaction to this that I had. Uh, There's a very disparate point of views from pretty like-minded folks. Uh, so that's great, and I should go back and listen to it again, because clearly I did not appreciate the stuff I really ought to have appreciated. Yeah, I think this is a difficult one to assess, because I definitely think it stands the test of time, but like Eric said, I can see other people balking at it. I initially had a hard time getting into it, but I think for its time, it was something very different, and again, trying to represent people that aren't heard on the radio, even if it wasn't a flattering representation, but the clock wasn't about flattering representations of people. <laughs> so if you're going to eventually die. Yes. <laughs> so uh, you, you can't really get around that. But yeah, I really liked it. And I'm going to say for me, it definitely stands the test of time. I think it has a, enough barriers to it that I wouldn't call it a classic and not the greatest thing Lucille Fletcher ever wrote. But it's really instructional for me about a lot of radio shows require those second listens. Yeah. It's not a medium always that you can be distracted while listening. I will attribute that to a modern brain. The, the way we are now is not suited. We have to force ourselves to listen to this. Mm-hmm. There has been evolution of some sort where we've changed, where listening to something requires now us to really focus. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there as well as information about live shows. It's been busy lately. It'll continue to be busy for our live shows. Uh, You'll also find social media links as well as places to let us know what you think. Comment on individual episodes. Let us know if you have any requests of stuff you'd like us to listen to. We love to hear from you. And let me add lots of exciting things on the way uh, with our live shows that we'll be announcing over the next few weeks. This is August of 2019, in case you're from the future. <laughs> but we got a lot of exciting things coming up. And you can also go to iTunes and write a review um, of this podcast because we really like that. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We've got a lot of exciting extra stuff there. Um, We're going to have some more extra exciting stuff soon. So again, we're going to just keep you in suspense (laughs) for all these exciting announcements coming down the the clock. Do I know about these? Yes, you do. Just like the other episodes, the clock we listen to. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Are we on Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next time, we are going to be listening to an episode of Inner Sanctum called Murder Comes at Midnight. Until then... Look out! Nuts yet. Nuts! Like 
like a millionaire. You sure know how to cut a man, don't you? 